power of the dark side. I'm not a baby, I'm a man. I am an anchor man. Is this a kissing book? The way I see it, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Welcome to episode three of series two of Just Like in the Movies, brought to you by gkmedia.ie, providing digital content and marketing solutions for SMEs throughout Ireland and the UK. Every week, our podcast explores and discusses what is happening in the Irish film industry and beyond, and some interesting developments as well in the past week, so we'll be discussing that shortly. But I'm your host, Gary Kelly, and joined as always by Lisa Tracy and Dave Coyne. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. And if you're listening and it's morning, good morning. Good morning. Good Good afternoon, (laughs) good evening and good night. (laughs) The movies we are reviewing this week is Widows from Steve McQueen and also one that I'm sure a lot of teenagers were looking forward to for the last few months. Fantastic Beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And I'll also be speaking to Chris Miller of Duke and Media, who's going to be talking about the rise of digital media and what sort of media goes viral nowadays. And it's a very interesting take on where the industry is possibly going. First up, though, let's look at Widows. Our go date is in three days. The night of the debate. Now all of our work is worth nothing if we don't move this money in fast. The notebook says $5 million. That's exactly the amount of money Mulligan was accused of taking in commission kickback. So over here we have $2 million. 20 Tupperware boxes. Each box has $100,000 in $100 bills. It weighs 44 pounds. Now over here we have $2 million. 40 Tupperware boxes. Each box has $50,000 in $50 bills. It weighs 88 pounds. I feel like I'm in school. Tell me about it. We gotta start thinking like professionals. We're in business together. Widows is the new movie from director Steve McQueen, who, of course, brought us Shame. He also brought us 12 Years a Slave and I suppose one of his other big movies that we have to give a mention to. And Hunger, which, of course, all of those three movies starred Irish actor Michael Michael Fassbender, Fassbender. who actually was one of our interviewees on series one of Just Like in the Movies. And really cool guy who I got to meet a couple of years ago at the Galway Film Fla. Now, this is interesting because I'm actually a fan of Steve McQueen. Lisa, you're not. No. So I was delighted to send you off to see his latest movie. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the sentiment. It's called Widows. It's kind of self-explanatory. It's based in Chicago. Where I never want to go to now. Okay. (laughs) Ever. Uh, Yeah, it's based in Chicago. It's about a heist gone wrong. And uh, Liam Neeson plays the uh, husband of Viola Davis. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he gets killed, inverted commas. uh, Or was he just taken? He definitely wasn't taken in this one. Uh, very different film, but uh, it was different shark. Anyway, um, what you call it? Yeah, so Chicago doesn't look like a fun place. It's got like all this political corruption going on and uh, there's an election going on and Colin Farrell is in it as a candidate for the election and his dad is played by Robert Duvall and he's a cranky old man and he's a... Oh, he's uh, he's just tremendous fun. But anyway, so Viola Davis um, gets a uh, knock on the door by, um, well, not really knock on the door, more like a barge through the door by uh, one of the political candidates who tells her that her husband stole his money and she needs to get it back and she has a month to get it back. So she gets uh, the crew of widows from the gang who are all deeply de- sad about their husbands being dead. Uh, they were in Liam Neeson's gang and uh, she gets them together to so form. they're all wiped out <coughs> they're all wiped out okay. and then uh, they get together to form a crack team of well they don't re- they're not really a crack team they're just hanging by, the, by a thread to steal uh, some money because Liam Neeson left behind his notebook with all his plans for his next plan okay. <laughs> for his next heist should I say 
Yeah. So, Dave, over to you. What do you think? Well, you've described it very well there. Fair play to you. Um, it's a, it is quite a rich, complex kind of movie. Um, there are tones and elements of the likes of the usual suspects for me in terms of plot and who's who and this person. But it's really well done. You're not overburdened with the names because, as Lisa said, great cast and you can relate to characters very well. And Robert Duval is there and his, you know, his point of view and he's a legacy um, politician. He's trying to get his son, played by Colin Farrell, to stand up and do the right thing. And he's corrupt as hell. And the his opponent is this... Um, African-American man who is um, the bad guy mm-hmm. in terms of criminality, but he's on the face of it. He's an honest politician. And um, there are twists and turns in this film, which you will literally hear people gasping <gasps> in the film because it's there's shots, frames within frames, which, I mean, this film blew me away. I thought it was the f- best film I've seen of 2018 and it's the end of November. I mean, there was a moment in it where I'm not going to do any spoilers because it's that good. No spoilers here, people. But um, there's a moment in it where there's a reveal. And then there's a moment about 20 minutes later where the same reveal is made better. And both of them hit you like a ton of bricks. And Lisa knows what I'm talking about here. And the layers of complexity in the plot are just lovely. It's like a chocolate cake. Every piece is gets better and better. And I did not want this movie to end. Oh, excellent. And would you be a fan of Steve McQueen? I would be. Um, I like his stuff he can be very arty in terms of an opening shot of a sequence might be a close-up of a match or a cigarette or a light or something arty and there's a few moments in this film which personally I really enjoy because I love kind of arty stuff not throughout the film but Mm. intermingled and if you have a scene that's a big emotional scene because it's quite an emotional film this there's emotions there's a lot of heavy almost kind of um, reflective flashbacks and emotion, love, a lot of tearing of hearts and tears and being a widower, you know, your heart is broken. When there's crime involved and pressure and murders and God knows what else, you know, there's emotion there. And there's a beautiful scene where I kind of said to myself, oh my goodness, Liam Neeson can actually act. (laughs) You know, really, like really act. Mm. Like I was genuinely, like we know Liam Neeson can act, but he, I literally kind of went, wow. There's a scene where this is, there's no spoilers here. There's a scene where um, Viola Davis, who plays his uh, widow, she's looking out the window of her apartment and it's raining and she's just gazing into the distance. And we cut to over her shoulder looking at her own reflection in the mirror, in the glass. And Liam Neeson appears in the reflection, a very arty kind of flashback, lovely way to do a flashback. And he puts his arm around her and there's a moment and they're hugging and there's just eyes closed and there's just love right there. And then it cuts back to her on her own at the mirror, at the window, being reflected by the rain and there's just tears in her face. And it's just, you can feel the heartbreak in her. Mm. And it just adds so much to the subsequent scenes when you go, (gasps) and it's, I thought this was just amazing, this film. Excellent. So Lisa, did you have the same thoughts? No. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Well, Dave okay. convinced me to go and see it. Why no, would you not go and see it again? Or No, I would. Well, because it's two hours, 20 minutes or something. It's I'd go and see it again long. right now. Mm. Okay, fine. I think the cast in this film are phenomenal. I think everybody is on point in this film. There's not one person that doesn't deliver what they should. Uh, Viola Davis is amazing, as always. Mm. When is she not? And I uh, agree. I agree. Yeah. The only thing missing from this movie is probably Fassbender. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He's not in it. No. No, it's Colin Farrell, which is fine, which is fine. But I think Fassbender might have been better. Uh, well, you know, maybe he's had a scheduling conflict. But Colin, <laughs> Farrell, Colin Farrell, I thought, was really good. In this mm. film. I, I genuinely think 
that the performances in this film were just solid. The poster has a lovely, almost like, how shall I put this? Silhouette? Like, silhouette, all the cast. It's a real ensemble piece. It's not like... This is the this star, is the star this is the of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And Viola Davis, whom a lot, of po- a lot of people might not know her name off the top of their head, but when they see her, they go, oh yeah, you're one. Yeah. She is unbelievably good in this. And for me, it's a, I like to kind of blend the movie and say, you know, it's this with a bit of that. It's, it's Pulp Fiction meets Usual Suspects meets, what's the one with Wisteria Lane? The ladies, desperate housewives, desperate housewives. <laughs> and it's there's a little, a little bit, touch little of that, bit. quite, okay. quite a and lot darker than desperate housewives, yeah, dark, which was yes. dark enough. But in terms of heist movies, I'm going to go on record here and say this is the best heist movie I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen all oh. the heist movies that exist. Wow. Believe me. Wow. Jeez. Okay. And I was said one of the other good heist movies starred a Steve McQueen. Indeed. Indeed, it did. Mm. But why didn't you like it, Lisa? Wait, it's just because I have just so many connotations from the previous films. I was just expecting it to get worse. And I was like, this is, okay, it's not awful. I did enjoy it, but I wouldn't say that it's the greatest heist movie of all time. (laughs) But I did think the twists and turns in this plot are fantastic. And I think he actually, he's, he's gotten better as a director. Absolutely. Because I really, I did not enjoy 12 Years a Slave and I did not enjoy Shame. They were not happy movies. Mm. I know not every film is supposed to be a happy film, but I want an ending that's an ending. But with this, it was like, yeah, boom. Yeah. Ended. It's there finished. is a lovely boom at the end. Yeah. Okay. There is a lovely moment at the end. No spoilers for anybody because genuine, no. you know, I, I don't want to be la- waxing lyrical here, but I didn't want it to end. I didn't look at my watch once. I was like, I'm happy watching this movie. And if it goes on till four in the morning, I'm going to be awake. And um, as Lisa said, there is a lovely moment at the end of the movie. I won't ruin it for anybody. But the character development of the ladies who aren't professional heisters, they're not criminals. Mm. They got thrust into this. Their lives are in danger. And I loved the ingenuity of some of the characters. So they're not, they're just all of these female characters. They had no idea their husbands were criminals. Their wool was pulled over their eyes. The, when, when the whole world fell apart after the, their husbands died in a very dramatic fashion, fashion at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie obviously they're distraught and there's funerals and tears and emotions and what have you it's very harrowing and then they have to come together it's, um, it's amazing and there's my favourite character in the whole movie Lisa is the, the young lady who runs oh yeah she's the brilliant. babysitter she's a babysitter she's of class. one of the girls and uh, Michelle Rodriguez plays this um, single she's obviously single because well, she's a widow and her two kids is very important to her and she has to meet for the heist you know meet for meetings and planning and whatever and they need a driver and they had a driver but he ends up in the drink shall we say <laughs> and they have to, they need a driver quickly so one day her babysitter who is this hairdresser girl who's just got a bit of oomph there's a scene where she's just running for a bus Mm. She ha- she's she's just a, she's a single mom too. Uh, you know, there's a lot of female power and uh, feminism and running is great. And um, but done better than the likes of Ocean's oh, Eight or Ghostbusters. Oh, God, yeah. no, yeah. different league. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is yeah. this is quality. Yeah, there's a scene she comes home from from work as probably a probably a twelve hour day. Yeah, and she's exhausted. Her and her mother is looking after her little girl. The little girl jumps up. She's up late waiting for mom to come home, and she's all happy. And then the phone rings. And she's like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And the, the mother kind of says, oh, what are you doing? You just got home from work. And the little girl is a little bit sad. But her mother in the middle says, well, honey, look, I got to go. And I got you know, to make money and I got to pay the bills, which we all do. And uh, so she goes. And next thing, just out of the blue, she's running for the bus. And it just shows her power, physicality. Mm. And of course, that is used in the heist. Yeah. If you can imagine Ocean's Eleven, you know, the little Chinese guy who yeah. does all the acrobatic stuff. She's that kind of person. And then she has attitude and it's brilliant. And her introduction, 
I don't even know the, the lady's name, the actress's name, apologies. Um, but she was amazing and she stole every scene, didn't she? She did, for sure. She was class. I loved her. Okay, it's not the worst film ever. I think I'm Is it more a lads movie then or something? No, 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 no. This no, is no. a female led. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's almost a strange blend. You know, the, the old action comedies. So they had action and they had comedies. And then they went, hey, let's make an action comedy and let's get the men come for the action, the ladies come for the comedy or mm. a rom-com action comedy nonsense and they'd mash these things together, you know, pickles and ice cream. This is a proper heist movie thriller mm-hmm. and there are feminine elements to it, add so much to it in terms of feminism and power and the fact that women are smarter than men and men, mm. are, men are idiots, you know? Yeah. <laughs> How many you lessons? agreed very quickly with that statement, Lisa. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love men. Yay. <laughs> okay, so I think top marks from you, Dave. Absolutely the most solid five stars that I can give. Solid. I, I give it a 3.75. Oh. 3.75 not even a four. out of five is, ba- is not bad. Well, you know, they say 75% of all statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Can't afford marketing personnel for your business? Don't worry, just head over to gkmedia.ie where you could have your very own professional marketing team for less than €100 Euro per week. Check out our marketing solutions packages by visiting gkmedia.ie. Okay, moving on to our next movie review this week on Just Like in the Movies, brought to you by gkmedia.ie. Fantastic Beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And it's one of those titles that there's a number of pronunciations for. Indeed. Absolutely. Anyways, let's have a quick listen to a clip from Fantastic Beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald. your brother? So I think I may have mentioned in my letters that we have quite a complicated relationship. You stop! Do you want to kill you? Frequently. Enough! He needs to control his temper. I think that might have been the best moment of my life. Okay, I suppose one of the exciting things about this movie is Jude Law is featured in it and he, of course, is playing a younger version of... Albus Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Love it. I was going to mention your man from Lord of the Rings that Which Ian McKellen man? plays. Gandalf. Gandalf? <laughs> Gandalf isn't in this one. No. no. Yeah, they're first, I'm sure they probably went to school together. <laughs> okay, it is, uh, of course, written by J.K. Rowling and it kind of it's like a prequel to the Harry Potter world. Yeah. Uh, as we know it but look I fell asleep during the first one last year so uh, Dave do you want to give us a, a little yeah, I mean, spiel about it the first thing just as you said it was written by J.K. Rowling who is a, just a genius writer world builder however she wrote the screenplay also she didn't just write this book and then a screenwriter took it off her and made it into a film which uh, apologies uh, Ms. Rowling uh, I don't think you did a very good job <sighs> making a film Um the world Did she write the first one? I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. She obviously, did. obviously, she. I don't know if she wrote the screenplay for the first one, but yeah. Uh, so if she wrote the screenplay, the women are shouting. She did. She, she did. did. <laughs> she did. But I mean, obviously, she created Harry Potter. She created the world yeah. of Harry Potter, uh, and in the same way that George Lucas created the world of Star Wars, that doesn't necessarily give him the license to be the helmer of all of these stories. And now I don't. She didn't direct this film. And same guy who directed the first one. Oh David yeah, Yates. David Yates. But she didn't direct this. But 
Her world building is second to none. Her imagination is probably in the one percentile. She is a genius. She's a great writer. But a screenwriter is a different thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pace of a book and the pace of a movie and the deliverables are different. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a visual feast, a stunning visual entertainment. But obviously in this world, we're used to being able to see wonderful digital creations and your mind goes, wow, how do they do that? And now we're used to how they do that. We don't want to know how they make it work. We just know it's possible. Yeah. So we can, you know, suspend our disbelief and watch beautiful statues come to life in a magical Harry Potter kind of way. So for me... This is what, then when story is essential. Exactly. The story is tepid water running down your back. It is complete nonsense story. I have no empathy with the story. I had no kind of connection to the characters. There was no... I, there's a big conundrum for one of the lead characters good guy bad guy I have no idea and honestly I don't care mm-hmm. who is all who am I and what am I and this that and the other and I had no I had, didn't care who he was I think he had about three or different three or four different names in the film because he your name is John no your name is Frank no your name <laughs> is Brian and I didn't care <laughs> and it's just next scene and the scene comes up and it's a big fabulous kind of a dragon lion fabulous in your life and your brain goes wow that's a beautiful image and then the next piece of dialogue and you tune out mm. and the chemistry between the lead actors is non-existent there are I mean I'm literally sitting on a chair that has more personality than some of these characters and I think I'm dragging this movie down here but I mean obviously <laughs> your Harry Potter fanatics they just love the world of Harry Potter and they want to be in it and you know you said that you fell asleep watching these movies just they didn't grab your attention but mm. they're comfortable you know they're, there's a nice world it's like Star Wars. People like to watch a Star Wars movie over and over again and people will buy this and watch this and it'll make a lot of money. But for me, as a film, it just doesn't stand up. I don't know, am I getting old? But I'm just, I was giving off to um, one of our videographers uh, today when we were coming from a shoot, just saying like, there's so many movies now which are just disappointing because the stories and the characters are just not strong to that I can connect with. And then I start coming back, oh, in the 70s and the, you know, mm. French connection, great, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's just so many movies out there, but really there's only a handful of them which are just dynamite. Yeah. Well, it's November and we're still kind of looking for what's the best movie of the year because uh, we've had widows. such a... Yeah, well, okay, Widows. <laughs> um, it, well, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I like, I love Harry Potter. I think it's so cute and I brought my Harry Potter fanatic with me to the cinema to see it and uh, she loved it but I think as Dave said like fanatics will love this movie anyway Um, but like there's going to be three more but there's only one book isn't there it's a book that's this big it's like so it's like tiny it's like The Hobbit yeah Uh, I mean The Hobbit um, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a three massive books or one big massive book that they made into three massive movies and it makes a certain amount of sense mm. even though they hardly ve- get that far in the forest in the exactly, second one exactly and um, I think I fell asleep in them Gary as well because <laughs> you know they're, they're comfortable you're just kind of okay there's not a lot happening I'll just yeah a couple of yeah. minutes in the ground uh, but the characters are okay and they get there and there's, you know there's a bit of meat on the bones and then they made The Hobbit because they thought right we've got a cash cow here the accountants need a new office and we need a new Learjet so let's make three more of these what have we got ooh there's a tiny little book over there Let's just start filling that up with lots of video game footage and make people sick mm. and milking it. Yeah. I mean... 35 a, minutes washing dishes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like a cow can only give you so much yeah. milk before you kill it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, this is what they're doing to Harry Potter. I mean, they have Harry Potter world. 
Which is awesome, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm sure. No, I would love to go to see Harry Potter World because mm. it's an experience and that's what Harry Potter is. It's an experience and it's Harry Potter. This, to me, is like a James Bond movie without James Bond in it. It's just, oh, let's have some gadgets and ejector seats mm. and we'll have a fella called Frank Murphy in it. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, James Bond fans will go and see it and they want to see Q and yeah, M. Yeah. And, but James Bond is retired and this is the new guy. And this Newt character, Newt Scamander. Ugh. He's as bland as, you know, your average 80-year-old dentist. And is that just Eddie Redmayne's performance, or...? Maybe. I mean, it's a combination of his performance is very subdued. Lackluster. And the character, as a, he's not heroic. He's not dynamic. He's not brave. He's, very, he's an introvert. Mm. He's a nerd in, in terms of, like, he loves animals and these weird creatures that everybody else is afraid of, and he nurtures them, and it, that's kind of fun, and I like that. I'm an animal lover myself, but... The hero of your story, Harry Potter, is, missing. is brave. He's mm. dashing. He's fearless. He's powerful. He's full of self-doubt and discovery. And he journeys and he has the Patronus charm. And he's like searching for his truth and his father. And there's, there's drama and there's dyna- dynamism, dynamism, pardon me, in him. Eddie Redmayne is, you know, there's postmen who have better, more <laughs> exciting lives. No offense to postmen. <laughs> Eddie Redmayne walks around with a suitcase that's got magic in it and a bad haircut. Would this have been a good movie if it was maybe like 20, 30 minutes long? As in like if it was just like a TV show? Maybe. Mm. But then, uh, is there's so, like, many, is there's it so just many layers so ridiculously that stretched like, out. It, that is right. The, that the, if it was much shorter, it would yeah. be maybe a great movie, if a they, greater mm, movie, a great movie. Yeah, presumably there's a third one coming, Lisa. There's yes. a fifth one. So they're doing five they're movies doing in this five series. five out of a book that was like two pages long. I'm going to guess that if they took the five movies, condensed it down to one movie, mm-hmm. or even two, they could have a good movie on their hands. I mean, the world of Harry Potter is a f- lovely place to visit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whimsy, whimsy, isn't that the word? Yeah, it's, it's full of whimsy and wonder and the magic and when these beasts come to life and um, there's some lovely moments in these films. I mean, the only moments that I can remember were all created by these hugely talented CGI artist animators who are way underpaid way underrated and these are the guys and girls who create the magic they sit in their front of their computers for 12 hours a day running sitting drinking coffee and drawing and designing these wonderful things that just blow your mind I mean this you know the dragon Chinese dragon Chinese dragon kind of of cross between a lion and a Chinese dragon I wanted one. I wanted to go to the pound and give me one of those, please. I don't know, how, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get a vet I, to I want look to after the little, them. the bell. Yeah, and, <laughs> and this big scary dragon thing, it's like I got a big tail feather and it's a big, but it's a kind of a cuddly, scary, wonderful creature, massive creature. Uh, Eddie Redmayne gets its attention by pulling a little stick like a wand out of his, um, it's like a child's toy. Yeah. And on the top of it, this little furry head with googly eyes and a bell and he just twists it in his fingers and goes, jingle, jingle, jingle. And this big scary animal kind of goes, ooh. <laughs> and he almost tames him with this thing. And that was the most interesting point of the whole film for me. (laughs) Mm. Because I did meet my three younger cousins as I was going into A Star is Born. They came running out and they were hopping. And the two younger ones thought it was amazing. The older one who'd be um, 14, nearly. Old enough to know better. Yeah. Uh, The eldest one who's nearly 14, she grew up during, you know, kind of the peak of Harry Potter. Loved it. Read all the books when she was very, very young. She grew up with Harry Potter. Mm. Yeah, and... I did, like, she was like, yeah, it's good, it's good. Mm. I suppose she didn't probably want to let the other two down who were just hopping around the room. Well, you know, when yeah. you're 14, 15 and 16, you kind of wait and, s- and if everybody else says it's good, you're just going to say it's good too. Mm. And when you get a cranky old people like us, yeah, they yeah. say it was crap, <laughs> you know, because we're fearless in that way. And the additional cast, 
uh, to this one compared to the one that came out last year? Um, Good. Jude Law, Johnny Jude Depp. Jude Law, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Jude, Loved Jude Law. Jude Law. So yeah. He was he was good, and the, the, actually, you're right, Lisa. The scenes with him yeah. were good because because there it, was more story. Yeah. The mm. story of there's we background, lovely background, history. There's there's loads of connotations. And we remember Dumbledore as a character. We yeah. know him. We love him. We've He's a seen big him. Cuddly Richard Harris, and then not we, the other guy. Yeah. Um. um <laughs> Michael Gambon. But we, yeah. we, we we who did a good job. In yeah. He was alright. Didn't know that. So the next thing is we you know we, we love Dumbledore. So when we see him young and he wasn't youth sized or digitally whatever, it was just they got an actor who can act and they put a bit nice young beard on him and they had a bit of character in him and he was good but he's minimal in the movie the scenes that he's in there's a couple of scenes where he's in Hogwarts and again a little piece of magic where the, the camera tracks over a mountain and you see Hogwarts and, oh, and everybody na, goes na, <gasps> na, na, na. the music comes in and you kind of go oh this is actually a Harry Potter, mo- Harry Potter movie and we're back and then we're in you know we're in the the classroom where Harry, in the future, will learn defense of the dark arts, okay. and there's a little bit of moment of magic there, mm. but it's not. It's like watching, you it's know, like looking at a photo album. Exactly. So yeah. it's kind of like Star Wars in the recent Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. They're kind of tapping into a bit of our nostalgia. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. But generally, wishy washy. Out of mm. five, two. Wow. Two. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> and Keith, our engineer, is giving it one, and Ooh. she was really looking forward to seeing this movie. So uh, there you go. And Keith is in the prime of her youth. So yes. compared to go. us old fogies, well, I think I think thing. she probably had more expectation and was let down more as a result. Yeah. Mm. Okay, there you go. That is uh, Fantastic Beast: The Crimes of Grindelwald. Right now, let's take a look at what is happening in the Irish film industry and beyond. Okay, a couple of exciting things this week. RT and BBC Three have confirmed that a one-off Christmas special for the Young Offenders will air this December. Wow. Delighted. That'll be brilliant. I think it's already in production. Brilliant. And it actually wrapped in Cork back in October. Wow. But really, news is kind of just filtered out now about this. So that's something to look forward to. The original movie came out in 2016, earned $1.3 at the Irish box office. And cost... 50,000 euros to make, I think. What's that? It cost 50,000 euros. I was at a seminar in um, Troy Studios with the director and I heard it from the director's mouth. It cost, they scraped together 50,000 euros to make the film and they got favours and help and, you know, shoestrings everywhere. They made a fabulous movie and it grossed, like, what did you say, a million point two or something? One point three million in the Irish box office. Just Ireland. And it got a release beyond Ireland. So, huge success story and hats off. And it's, see, you don't need... CGI wizards you need a good story and characters that you just follow yeah, yeah. to the end of the story and you're just right there with them and you love them and if they feel pain you feel pain that's how you make a movie absolutely totally. well said Dave Dairy Girls then has been acquired by US Netflix for a December release if you wow. haven't seen Dairy Girls it is absolutely fantastic our own colleague who uh, works in this building that we're in Tommy Tiernan uh, plays one of the dads in it and uh, it's very funny I think they've just wrapped up filming the second series as well actually yeah I believe so they, uh, one of the, the my a native Oren Morian like myself uh, with a uh, kick-ass accent yes um, Nicola Coughlin I believe mm-hmm. is her first name her, I'm a friend of her family's and she's uh, she's a good bit younger than me but uh, uh, I met her years and years ago when she was a young girl but she's um, she's a great little actress yeah. and uh, she's got a lot of style and obviously she's from my hometown so Big shout out to her because Derry Girls is a gem. Absolutely. And it's right there with the likes of Young Offenders in terms of comedy, youth, mm. and 
a great time for Irish comedy, I think. Absolutely. So second season expected out on Channel 4 in early 2019. And then finally, this one just kind of reminded me of my youth. Some of Roald Dahl's most loved tales are to get a new lease of life on Netflix. Again, Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, big in action. Animated series will reimagine stories including Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Matilda, The Twits and The BFG. I don't know if you saw the BFG movie that came out a few years ago. Spielberg, yeah. Yeah, I was quite disappointed. Yeah, me too. Uh, A best-selling author who wrote over 20 books for children died in 1990. Uh, This this annoys me. I met Roald Dahl when he was in Galway years ago. Like, I think it was 1984 or something. I remember, yeah. And he was signing books and he signed Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the Twits (gasps) for me. Wow. Wow. Cannot find them. We're scouring the attic. At the moment, trying to get them. Oh, my God. Because I want to pass them down to my Absolutely. daughter. Oh, oh, wow. That'd be class. Mm. But they are like... They'll turn off. The St. Anthony. But don't remake <laughs> Matilda, though. It's no. I thought the Matilda no, that Danny no, DeVito no. did was excellent. Leave it alone. Yeah. I mean, you know... They have a musical of Matilda now, don't they? Yeah, but, but that's a different medium. Broadway you know, that, that's, that's fine. That's a different medium. They're adding songs. They're bringing it into a live audience. That's fine. But, I mean, once you make a movie that's just perfect... Don't go messing with it. Mm. You know, I mean, like, nobody wants a remake of Back to the Future. No, 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 no. Do you know no. what I mean? I literally will not pay to see that. If mm. you send me to see a remake of Back to the Future in 20 years' time, I'll get in my DeLorean and go back to 1985 and watch the first one again and mm-hmm. lie that I say I saw the new one because why change it when it's perfect? I would pick it over that if they did a remake Back to the Future. I'm, I'm generally quite passive. And no. But when a, when a movie is just perfect yeah. and it has a timelessness. Yes, yes. And I mean, Matilda... Ha, even the production design of that movie has a lovely blurring of time. There's no, oh, that movie is set in the mm, 80s yeah. or the 90s. It's set in another world. Mm. And the costuming and everything and Miss Turnbull. And it's just a juicy piece of entertainment. Leave it alone. Absolutely. Well, there you go. We'll wait and see if um, those remakes do go ahead. Well, they say they reimagine the stories, but uh, we'll, we'll see what's to come because, in fairness, a lot of good stuff on Netflix, but a lot of other stuff as well put up there that I wouldn't get too excited now, about. Now, are these, are these going to be live action or animations? Animations. Animators, are yeah. they going to be in the style of Mr. Blake, who did all the... Uh, Quentin Blake, is that his name? The mm-hmm. guy who did all the anima- all the drawings on the covers and on in the internally of the books. Oh, that would be interesting. I, think, what's I it, doubt is it, it, though. Is it Quentin Blake, I think his name is? I remember saying And he's, he's the guy who did all the classic illustrations for all of the um, the BFG and whatnot, mm-hmm, and yeah. um, you know he does all the covers the classic covers of the Roald Dahl books and his mm. you know that lovely kind of blurry artwork that he does you know uh, very simple cartoons yeah is it, did I get the name right yeah you did yeah, yeah well, there you go the brain's working and how old is he now oh he's I believe he's in his 80s he's still alive 85 I saw, yeah. Yeah. 85 yeah he, he's he, but he's a, like he's a proper artiste and he's been working with Maybe um, he'll give them some guidance. But if he, if he, if they took his style and they got some good artists in and digital and they made it in that kind of vein, I'd be on board. Mm. I'd be. I, it would notch it up. If they start doing three D nonsense just for the sake of three D, I yeah. wouldn't be on board. Okay, there you go. That is kind of the the bits that grabbed our attention this week in the world of cinema, both here and overseas. Up next, I'll be speaking to Chris Miller, VP of Jukin Media, about what is happening in the world of digital media at the moment. So stay with us. Can't afford marketing personnel for your business? Don't worry. Just head over to gkmedia.ie, where you could have your very own professional marketing team for less than €100 per week. Check out our marketing solutions packages by visiting gkmedia.ie. 
Glad to be joined by Chris Miller, Vice President of Dukin Media here uh, today in Galway. Chris, very interesting talk about user-generated content, which ye are getting hold of and monetizing, and I suppose really giving a full 360 story of what is happening out there. Can we just take it back, though, a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, how I suppose we need to start embracing user content and, and short-form content in forms of publishing and broadcasting today as opposed to the traditional method of maybe doing an hour-long or 40-minute feature? Sure. I, I think there's no way, no reason not to embrace it. And there's been so much discussion over the past couple of years of what's taking over. Is TV going to survive? Is digital the thing that's going to, everything's going to be in two or three-minute nuggets and there's no longer going to be hour-long TV shows? That's not true. TV will always be there. But I just think we need to be looking at it differently. We need to look at it all as content and understanding better the viewer that you're talking to and the way that they engage and consume. Different people like different kinds of content. And for every piece of content that we make, we're talking to somebody different. And we understand that community and we understand how they want to be approached, how they want to engage. And so sometimes the original episode we make may be a minute and a half to speak to one audience. And for another audience, it may be 14 minutes. So we're literally crafting every new episode for every new series that we do with the audience in mind. At the end of the day, you're still telling a story. You have to have a great story. Story first, but it's just how you do it. It's, it's got to be different depending on your viewer. But when you say you understand your community, your audience, I mean, you have a phenomenal audience. We do have a phenomenal audience. The reason the audience is so good is that we've spent a lot of years, not a lot of years, probably seven years, slowly building these brands based on a few different buckets of kinds of content and based on the initial audience and followers that we had at the beginning, understanding why they, why they liked it so much and talking to them. You can't do that in TV. You have to make a series and you wait for Nielsen to come back or some rating system to come back. You can't talk to your audience. No, we talk to our audience. We talk to our audience every single day. And we grew to 160 million subscribers, not out of luck, out of understanding that like, okay, people are awesome viewers and followers. This is what they want to see. So we're going to go make what they want. We're going to give them what they want. That's why we're successful. It's not magic. It's not luck. We're just listening to the people that are more than happy to interact and talk to us. Okay, so let's explain for those who aren't familiar with exactly what it is that you do. You're an LA-based company. You have about five different brands out there. You upload content online. You monetize it through channels like Facebook and YouTube. Where did it start and how did it get to the level it's at now? Uh, that's a great question. So it started with our founder, John Scogmo, probably... Eight or nine years ago, John was a producer in, on a, for a traditional production company, working on a clip show, and it was back at a time when the production company was still receiving clip submissions, kind of like America's Funniest Videos, where people would send in their funny clips, and he was one of the producers who was still receiving these VHS tapes or DVDs that showed up every week. And the internet was just kind of starting to take off, and he was the guy in the office who said, hey, wait a second, those same videos are already on YouTube, and I can just talk to the person immediately we can get that video in an hour so if they're already sending them in and we're making a deal with these people based on the clips that they want to submit like that's a business so he literally left production company he was with and started reaching out to the content creators that he was already making developing relationships with and doing the deals on his own and and it came down to let me represent your clip let me take your clip out and represent it for television commercials for different platforms for original content i'll represent it and let's make money together and that's kind of how it started so the core of the business is finding those entertaining, heartfelt, 
tear-jerking, funny, sad clips that kind of engage emotion and elicit emotion in us all and talking directly to the content creator and making a deal with them that makes them happy to be partners with us. That's key. That are The people that we license videos from, they're excited to be partners with us. They want us to represent their videos and that's where it started. So you literally have about a dozen researchers trawling the internet daily looking for the most happening clips, the ones that are getting the reaction? We have about 80 researchers that are 24-7 globally scouring the internet, looking on your Facebook pages, looking on YouTube pages, just looking for great content. And when they find something that kind of passes, you know, the emotion test, like that just made me stop and watch it. Like, why did I just want to stop and watch that video? Then they just reach out directly to the, the content creator and, and try to license that video. And is there software then that you use for algorithms to see what's moving fast on the internet in terms of viewership? There is. So we've created our, we have our own IP technology that we've created that kind of Definitely majority of the legwork is just getting online and going from page to page and viewing as much content as you can to find those pieces. But the technology does help us. It does ping us when, when a video will, you know, has a big jump in traction over the course of 24 hours. If something had two views yesterday and, and today has 2,000 views, um, it will ping us and let us know that this might be something that's, that's worth checking out. And the content you're sourcing, is it from amateur or semi-professional kind of wannabe filmmakers? Or is it literally just the majority amateur, someone taking out their phone or playing around with a drone and just looks great? It's a story you want to tell. I would say 95% of the content we inquire is just from a mom somewhere outside of Chicago who is shooting with her iPhone of her baby, you know, of her two-year-old running through the backyard until something funny happened. And she thought it was funny, so she put it on her Facebook page. And her whole family laughed. We laughed, called her up. Most of it is completely amateur. And that's the beauty. Like, that's why it's authentic. That's why people buy it. That's why advertisers want this content to represent their products. That's why people engage with user-generated content. It's real. You can't... There's certainly people out there that fake things happening, like fake a fail. Like, there's, there's definitely a lot of fake fails out there. But you can't fake emotion. You can't fake the reaction of when a soldier comes home. You can't fake the reaction of a child when they open a Christmas present and they get their first puppy. Like that is just real life. And we can all associate with it. We can all connect with it. We have those own moments in our life that we can compare to those moments. Just can't fake it. It's real. I think what's very clever what you've done is you have taken it to the next level in terms of using content on social media because for the last few years, they've been banging the drum saying, short video, short video, you know, the consumer has a short attention span. But what you've done is you've layered loads and loads of short content, but people are happy to sit down watching them for, was it an average 64 minutes per, per sitting? 64 minutes per sitting based on short form content that all fits into one particular theme that we've packaged together. But the other side of that too is that we've definitely found that people are willing to sit and watch longer form content. But when they're watching it on digital platforms, there's just different techniques to keep them engaged. A very specific example is we, last year we launched a, a pet show, kind of a pet craft show. We launched a, a pet show and it was all about making crafts for your pet. And we launched, I think within the first three days, we probably had three to 400,000 views on a brand new series, which is okay for us, but we have a much higher bar. So we immediately start looking at the data and we're like, well, maybe people don't want to watch this. And, and, and people were checking out at like the, 22nd mark or the 32nd mark and weren't seeing the whole thing through. Maybe they're not willing to watch five minutes on crafting. And what we found out based on the data was that that wasn't the case at all. What they wanted to see is they wanted to see more kittens in the first five seconds of the video. 
and we literally put more kittens on screen in the first five seconds of the video and our second episode went up to 1.7 million views in 24 hours and like 80% of the audience stuck around to watch the entire episode. It's just what they want to see. If they needed to get them excited and, and, and kick it off and get them into this episode was that little bug. And it's a fair point as well because we need to be generating content to what people want as opposed to what we think they need to be watching. Yeah, we don't, for, for someone who spent a long time in traditional television, it, it kind of scares me. Now it scares me the thought of developing ideas and going and making entire series based on an idea that I think is cool. And that the network says, oh yeah, we're looking for this kind of content. Based on what? Based on the ratings of a show six months ago? Because the entire industry changes every week. Like what people want changes every day. If you're not paying attention to that and creating based on exactly what you said, what people want, you're kind of at a disadvantage, right? We can't lose sight of the fact that we're making a product, same as people who make a loaf of bread or a widget. We have to make something that people want. And you're not going to make something people want without knowing who your consumer is, without knowing who your viewer is really, really well. Chris Miller, thank you very much. You're welcome. There you go. That is Chris Miller of Duke and Media speaking to me at the FESH Summit in Galway a couple of weeks ago. Well, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Just Like in the Movies, brought to you by gkmedia.ie. Lisa Tracy, thank you very much. You're welcome. Dave Coyne, thank you very much. See you next time. And Kifa Mullen, thank you very much. Thanks, Kifa. Thanks, yeah. Kifa. <laughs> She's our recordist, engineer, the whole thing. She's the person editing for 12 hours drinking tea nonstop, like these CGI artists and Fantastic yep. Beasts. That's heroes behind the scenes. If you want to get in touch with us at any stage uh, to be really nice, you can email us movies at gkmedia.ie and our podcast is on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher and a few other places as well. Thank you for listening and until we talk to you next week, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.